Hi, everyone. We're studying the epic story of King David as we prepare for Easter. You know, there are so many lessons in David's story. Last week, we looked at the story of David and Goliath. King Saul hid in fear while the young shepherd boy David conquered the giant Goliath. Saul forgot who and whose he was. David knew who and whose he was. Even more important, on the battlefield that day, the Philistines on one side, the army on the living God on the other, the young shepherd boy David was the only one who knew who God was. Yahweh the Deliverer. But by the end of the day, both sides witness Yahweh deliver God's children from their enemies. So how do we get to this passage that the Gutierrez family just read about David sneaking up on King Saul in a dark cave? I mean, what happened between chapter 17 and chapter 24 of 1 Samuel? Well, let's back up a little bit. So Israel was never supposed to have a human king. God, Yahweh, was to be the king of Israel. You go all the way back to Genesis. God called two barren senior citizens, Abraham and Sarah, to follow him. He said he would be their God, they would be, and all of their descendants would be God's special people if they would follow his call. And see, we learn something new about the nature of God right there. Halfway through Genesis, we move from the God who creates to the God who calls. God called Abraham and Sarah. He said if this old childless couple would just set up and follow him, they would not only have children, but their descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. But that's not all. God said if they answered his call, their descendants would have land, and they would be blessed to be a blessing to other people, meaning God would work through them to bless others. And that's really the greatest blessing that we can experience, the blessing of God using us to bless other people. But the point is, Abraham was never king, and neither were her children, all the way to Moses. When Abraham's descendants were enslaved in Egypt, God called Moses to lead his people from slavery, lead them to the promised land. But again, Moses was never king because God was king. Now, there's an important side note here. With Moses, we learn something new again about the nature of God. In Exodus, we learn God is not only the God who creates, not only the God who calls, but God is the God who saves. Yahweh the deliverer. Yahweh delivered his children from slavery, from captivity. God creates. God calls, and God saves. But we also learn in Exodus, God is the God of covenant, the God of relationship. Through Moses, God entered into a covenant with his people, a relationship with his special people. He gave them the law, and he said, if you follow this law, you will be my people, I will be your God. And they didn't need a king, because God was their leader. But that was hard. It was really hard for the people. So when the people strayed from God's law, he sent prophets to them to tell them they need to turn back. They need to turn their ways and come back to God. But the prophets were never kings because God was king. 
But when the people, they still wanted a leader. They wanted someone they could see. So God sent the judges to lead the people. Many of the judges were warriors, led the people in battle. But again, judges weren't kings because God was king. But the people wanted a human king that they could follow. Someone who looked like a king so they could be like other nations. So eventually, Samuel relented and anointed the first king of Israel, King Saul. And King Saul looked the part. He was big. He was strong. He looked like a king was supposed to look. But he only looked the part. The further you study Saul, the the more you realize he didn't have the heart of a king. But that wasn't the criteria the people had. They wanted a king who looked like a king. They wanted someone who looked the part. That's what they had asked for. Matter of fact, Saul's name in Hebrew literally means you asked for it. So the last couple of weeks we've seen God had a very different criteria for a king in mind. And that was David. David was a man after God's own heart. David was the one who God chose because he was a humble shepherd boy and he was caring and he was empathetic. He was very smart and he was very brave. And most important, David had faith in the reality of the presence of the living God. David had complete confidence that God was present and Yahweh would deliver his people from any enemy. And last week we saw Yahweh delivered the Israelites from Goliath and the Philistines through the humble shepherd boy David in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. David fought Goliath. But everyone knew that wasn't really David's job. It was Saul's job. The king had been anointed to fight Israel's enemies, like the Philistines. But Saul, we saw he hid as David performed his job. And the deal is Saul knew it. As thankful as Saul was that he didn't have to go out and take on Goliath, a switch happened when David defeated Goliath. The relationship between David and Saul, it began to disintegrate. Saul knew he did not do the job that God had set him aside to do. And we know Saul was already tormented. We we saw even before David conquered Saul's Goliath for him, Saul was tormented. But after that, it would get bad. It got really bad. And I think everyone can relate to Saul. I mean, who hasn't felt at least a little inadequate at some point in your life, you know, afraid that other people are really going to see how inadequate you are. Samuel had told Saul that he was failing. And and then Samuel told Saul that God was going to anoint another king. He didn't know who it was yet. But from the moment David defeated Goliath, David's legend began. And he quickly became a hero. And David was amazing on the battlefield. He led the army to victory over and over and over again. How do you think King Saul would have felt when he heard his people chant, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands? That little voice of inadequacy, knowing that he had failed God and he had failed Israel, it really started to grow. And it continued to grow. 
And all the while, he watched how blessed David obviously was. And he watched how much the people loved him. Saul's daughters both loved David. He ended up marrying one. But that wasn't all. Saul's son, his very own son, Jonathan, loved David. And Saul became jealous. And that jealousy began to overtake him. And his thoughts, they began to spin and spin as paranoia began to grow and grow. Everyone loves David. Everyone's loyal to David. They know I'm I'm a failure. They, They all know. They know that God has chosen another king. Is it David? It must be David. Saul had to get rid of David. Saul had to destroy David. So from the 18th chapter of 1 Samuel, we see Saul's jealousy move to fear and eventually to paranoia. I mean, we read about David playing his lyre, his harp for Saul to help calm his mind, and then Saul threw a spear at David. And then he threw another one, tried to pin David against the wall. Saul became consumed. Now, on one level, I I think there's a lesson for every one of us because we all have a little Saul inside of us. There are times that we all feel inadequate. And those feelings can, they can overtake us. You know, so many people have ended up doing horrible, terrible things because they lost perspective on this. Saul forgot. He forgot who he was. He forgot whose he was. I mean, Saul was God's anointed leader of God's chosen people. And he forgot Yahweh was the God who delivers. You know, many centuries later, when Martin Luther struggled with his feelings of inadequacy, he would look in the looking glass and he would say, Martin Luther, you are a baptized child of God. He'd remember who and whose he was. You know, when our identity is found in Christ and Christ alone, we step back and and we can really put this in perspective. How can Christ's beloved be inadequate? I love how David responded to Saul. I mean, the first time Saul tried to kill him, David just shrugged it off, went on his business. And maybe he told himself, well, it was just an accident, you know, his spear slipped, whatever. You know, Saul didn't really mean it. I think that's important for us. A year into the pandemic, no one is completely happy right now. Every one of us, we're all dealing with all kinds of emotions. And, you know, on top of COVID and how it's affected so many people physically and, and mentally and spiritually and emotionally and economically, we're all still experiencing the regular struggles of life right now. I mean, the day-to-day struggles, they're still there. The relational issues, the aging issues, illness, loss. I mean, it's all there on top of COVID. And see, in a regular world, when someone jumps at you, the the majority of what they're saying, it has nothing to do with you. You're just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Doesn't make it right at all. But I'll tell you, I don't know how many times I've snapped at somebody this last year, and then I felt terrible afterwards. And I realized what had happened, and they didn't deserve that. Where'd that come from? I've tried. I've tried to apologize every time I realized what was going on. But my point is, that's happened to every one of us. 
This has been a miserable season for all of us. Everything's compounded. So when someone unloads their frustrations and their feelings on you, you know, they may not even realize it. Just take a lesson from David. Just shrug it off, you know, go on with your life and realize like everyone else, they're dealing with a lot right now. Doesn't make it right, but you can decide to take the high road. We can choose our response. But the more you progress with this story, you see David changes strategy. Yeah, first he shrugs it off. But then David gets out of the way completely. And he just stays away from Saul. There's so many lessons in this section, but some of the most interesting, they come when you reflect on power. Saul's power was being threatened. Saul felt his power shifting to David. His family loved David. His kids, his daughters, his son loved David. His officers and his subjects. Because that's what the people were to Saul. They were his subjects. Saul was never a shepherd. He never understood. His job was to lovingly take care and to protect his flock. He was just like all the other kings all the other nations that surrounded them. For Saul, the throne meant power. And see, the people of his realm, they were his subjects. And Saul could feel his numbers, or his days were being numbered. He was losing power. He was going to be replaced. He was about to lose it all. So Saul succumbed to a seduction of power that led to only one solution in his mind. He had to hold on to power at all costs when he felt it was being taken away. He had to kill David. This is how dictators operate. You know, they resort to violence to gain power, and then they use power, violence to maintain power, and then they use violence to hold on to power when their power is being threatened. First, Saul used violence against David. He used a spear, tried to pin him against a wall several times. But as you read the story, Saul becomes more and more violent, not only toward David, but to anyone who's supporting David. He wants to destroy David, take down anyone who is loyal to David. And it becomes an obsession. And eventually, Saul's paranoia takes over completely and, and tries to destroy anyone he even imagined could support David to the point that he slaughtered 85 priests because he thought they were loyal to David. 85 priests. So from chapter 16 all the way to chapter 23 of 1 Samuel, the shift occurs. In chapter 16, Saul has the power. He is the one in charge. And David is just this shepherd boy He's vulnerable to the power of the king. But as the chapters progress, we see Saul's paranoia grows and grows. And we see David, he goes on the run. And we see Saul become blind to anything else. And as the story progresses, he is consumed with destroying David. The king becomes obsessed with David. He sets aside everything and he pursues David. Nothing else matters to him. Now, this is a rabbit trail, but it's one worth taking. While King Saul was chasing David in the wilderness, 
He completely ignored his duties as king. No one was running the country. And that would have been one more hit with God's people. I mean, one more nail in Saul's coffin. And he was pounding these nails in himself. Because his paranoia, it cost him his constituents on so many levels. I mean, this whole nation, they watched Saul disintegrate in front of their eyes. His paranoid obsession to destroy David, it lost him credibility just as his complete dereliction of his duties. So have you ever been so obsessed with something that it completely took all of your focus, just drained, distracted you from the important things that just got set aside and piled up and piled up? There are so many lessons as this shift occurs in these chapters of 1 Samuel, I mean, we see David become more and more powerful, and we see Saul become more and more vulnerable. And it all comes to a head in this cave in chapter 24. Saul and 3,000 men are hunting David and David's men. Saul feels the call of nature. He goes into a cave to do his business. He didn't know David and his men were hiding in that same cave. David's men, they urge David to to just sneak up and kill Saul while he's vulnerable. And they tell David, Yahweh the Deliverer has delivered Saul to you. But David understands the difference between God delivering his enemies to him versus God delivering him from his enemies. And there's a huge difference. You know, one that people like Saul would never, ever understand. But this is why David was called a man after God's own heart. David doesn't see Saul's vulnerability in this cave as Yahweh delivering him to David into his hands for vengeance. I mean, David sees that Yahweh has orchestrated Saul's vulnerability in this cave. And it's the moment Yahweh would deliver him from his enemies as he would later write in Psalm 23. But David doesn't do what Saul would do. He doesn't kill Saul. Instead, what does he do? He sneaks up behind Saul and he takes his knife out and he cuts a section of Saul's robe off. And then in chapter 24, 1 Samuel, Saul, he is now the vulnerable one. And David is the one with the power. But David made a choice in the way he would exercise his power. He wasn't going to be like other kings. He wasn't going to be like Saul. I mean, David was tempted to use violence to gain power. We see that in this passage, if you read it closely. But, but he, didn't, he didn't do it. Even though his men were urging him to, he wasn't going to be that kind of king, one like Saul. That wasn't how God's anointed is supposed to lead. He refused to gain power by violence, just as he would refuse to hold power by violence. That's not how God's anointed leaders lead. David broke this cycle of Saul's violence, and he led with compassion and empathy as he saw this man squatting in a dark cave, just completely vulnerable. Now, David would have been justified in killing Saul. He was hunting him down. He was using every resource he had at his disposal, 
all the power of the throne was being used to destroy David. And ironically, that's why Saul lost his power. If David thought Yahweh had delivered David's enemies to David's hands, he would have been just like Saul. But that's not how David understood what God was doing in that cave. He knew Yahweh delivered David from the hand of David's enemies. Saul sought to destroy him, but he acted like a man after God's own heart. In that dark cave, the power was transferred completely. David didn't use power to seize the kingdom. That would have been how other kings did things. But that's not how God's chosen works. Saul left the cave. Listen to chapter 24, 8 through 11. Afterwards, David rose up, went out of the cave, and called after Saul, My lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the ground, did obeisance, and David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of those who say David seeks to do you harm? This very day, your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you into my hand in the cave. And some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not raise my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your cloak in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your cloak and did not kill you, you may know for certain there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you were hunting me to take my life. At that moment, David was king. He didn't have a crown yet, but he had all the power. And 3,000 of Saul's men heard David's speech, and 3,000 of Saul's men witnessed what had just happened. And Saul wept. He cried. And then he confessed before everyone you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, where I have repaid you evil. Today you have explained how you have dealt with, well with me. You did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For who has found an enemy and sent the enemy safely away? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me on this day. Now I know you are surely the king and this kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. David and Saul weren't in this cave by accident. Yahweh delivered Saul into David's hands. You know, history is not a series of random events. The Bible teaches us over and over and over. History is God working out his promises to bring down the powerful and to raise up the lowly. Remember when Mary found out she was to bear a son named Jesus? She sang a song, a song about how God was bringing down the powerful and raising up the lowly through the birth of her son. That started all the way back with Jesus' ancestor, David, in a cave. David was a righteous man. David acted like the king of Israel should act. David was the man after God's heart. And in that cave, David showed a complete lack of treachery, 
a complete lack of vengeance, because that's how God's children are supposed to act. Jesus announced a kingdom that wouldn't conform to the power arrangements of the kingdoms of this world. And he, his kingdom calls its members to love one another. His kingdom calls its members to forgive their enemies. Can you see why G Jesus was called the son of David? You know, really, I wonder what lesson you have taken from this story as you prepare for Jesus' resurrection this Easter. You know, in the Old Testament, God is the God who creates, and God is the God who calls, and God is the God who delivers. But in Jesus Christ, we learn God is also the God who redeems. God can take the worst of circumstances and force them, bend them into good. We see this in this story as Saul pursues David to kill him. What Saul meant for evil, God forced for good. And I wonder how God can do this in your heart and in your life. Lent is a season of repentance, it's, it, which simply means we change directions. The Hebrew verb shuv means repent, and, and it's simply the verb to change directions, to turn. You just turn your way. How are you walking away from God? And where in your life do you need to come back? This is the season that we prepare for new life, hope out of the ashes. How is God speaking to you? Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you that even when we can't see, you are at work in ways we could never fathom, that we could never imagine, and that you're able to bring even the darkest experiences of our lives, you're able to bring new life. As we prepare for Easter, help this to be a season of new life. In your son's name we pray. Amen.